0: The is <laughs> safe to eat. The first thing... <laughs> you know what's not safe to eat? Grass.
1: <laughs> soil. Soil is not safe. Actually, a lot of soil is safe, but let's... We'll talk about my research. I used to
0: research. eat a lot of dirt as a kid, and that's something that we will cut out of the podcast. And it
1: shows. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And welcome to Not Yet a Doctor, the podcast where we try to get a rise out of each other and maybe make some dough eventually. (laughs) So maybe give us a pumpernickel?
0: Very cute.
1: My name is Alistair, and I am a PhD candidate at Queen's University uh, studying analytical chemistry.
0: I'm Sienna. I am your fellow neuroscientist at McGill
2: University in Montreal. My name is Beth. I am a particle physics PhD student at Sapiens, University of Rome.
1: And we are the PhD three. To
2: be! To be!
1: Given my my bad puns, can you guys take a stab at maybe what we're going to be talking about today? I
2: think I could probably take a cut with a bread knife. <laughs> I don't think you could really stab with no. a bread knife because the end's kind of blunt.
1: Well, shall we baguette right to it?
2: Oh. Yes. <laughs> I am ready.
1: Alright, so we're gonna be talking I,
0: I expect at least five more bread puns. I
2: do not loaf these puns.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, so um this this episode idea came about from one of a friend of mine, uh, named Miranda, and she asked me about the chemistry of baking. And I thought that was kind of a bit of a broad topic, so I was going to just focus on bread, because of course baking you were. A, there's a lot of different things that can happen when we bake, um, and I think bread is good because it covers most of them. So we're gonna go through the different steps of making bread. Hopefully, you've you know how to make bread. Um, I think at this
2: point in quarantine. <laughs> at this point in quarantine, I think
1: we've all had a little bit of a trial in making bread.
2: I have not made bread, but um, still to come. Like ever. Not in quarantine. Like okay. before, probably I have assisted in the making of bread, but
1: Beth, Beth, you need to do it at some point. Do I? You. I
2: need, need to. to. Okay. okay.
0: All right. <laughs> or you could, or you could just knot and go against the grain.
1: Ooh, good one. Because because you can you can tie bread in knots. Okay, okay, okay. So.
2: Also, because bread can be have grains in it.
1: Well, yes. Also that. Also that.
2: There was a double pun. I know, it's good. I yeast <laughs> to think that you were two intelligent scientists. <laughs> Not anymore.
1: Ooh, that was oh, that was a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> that actually wasn't even a pun. I was just saying that was a stretch. <laughs> okay, so we're going to go through the different steps of bread making. And along the way, I'm going to talk to you about the chemistry and the kind of the biology. There's no physics, sorry, about bread making. Um, and if you know me as YouTube... Hopefully do. You know that in my fourth year undergraduate thesis, I actually did a little bit of research on bread. But we're not going to talk about that today. I was just looking at toxic elements in bread. It wasn't very interesting. Bread safe to eat. So to make a good loaf of bread, we need to start with flour. And there are many types of flour that are used in bread making, but wheat flour is the most common and that's what we're going to be talking about today. So most flours contain 70% of starch by weight.
2: I have a question. Yes. You haven't even started, but I still I already got a question. You say that wheat flour is the most common. Is that a like global thing or is that a Canadian thing?
1: Or? Globally, wheat flour is the most common. Although, like there are many breads and I'm including like naan and, you know, other types of breads that are made in other cultures, but right. actually around the world, bread is a a staple food. Like I think I don't want to say every culture around the world, but like
2: Pretty much every culture. Yeah,
1: pretty much every country has a history of bread making. And this is not the history of bread making, this is the science of bread making, <laughs> the chemistry. Okay. Of so
0: you'll have to find another podcast for that exactly. one. Sorry guys. Yeah. Sorry. Not yet a historian
2: <laughs> <com>. <laughs> If anybody knows a podcast about the history of bread making, uh our socials are in the episode description. Hit us up.
1: Yeah, hit us up. So most flour contains starch and starch is the name of a complex set of carbohydrates. Or in chemistry, this is also known as a polysaccharide, or a long chain of sugars. So you can just think of starch as this long chain of sugars that's all branched together. And so um, these sugars can be things like glucose. I think many, well, you guys have heard of glucose, right? Glucose is a sugar in our body. Um, What's glucose? Sorry? Glucose is... I've never heard of glucose. Glucose is a sugar. And the sugar that you get in your coffee or on the table is a mixture of glucose and fructose. It's also called sucrose.
2: Oh, I didn't realize sucrose wasn't a thing. Sucrose is a
0: disaccharide, D-I for two, and it is made of glucose and fructose. I yeah. did not
2: know that. Thank you for that information.
1: So you can, have, you can have a monosaccharide, which is one sugar, so that's either glucose or fructose. You can have a disaccharide, which is two sugars bound together, and it's mm-hmm. either sucrose or- a-
0: Glucose glucose, glucose fructose, fructose fructose. Is lactose another monosaccharide?
1: That's a good question i don't know
2: <laughs>
1: should i look it up i should probably look it up yeah probably okay so there's actually three monosaccharides the other one is galactose and lactose is a disaccharide which is two sugars made up of glucose and galactose so okay
0: hmm. okay and so pretty much you can assume if it ends in ose it's probably a sugar yes yeah num nom nom.
1: so a polysaccharide is just a longer chain, so it can be 3, 4, 5, 6, 8, 10 sugars long. And so... Or more. Or more. Yeah, you can get really long chains <laughs> of sugars. So flour is mostly starch, which is a polysaccharide. Mm-hmm. Wheat flour also has glandin and glutenin, and these are proteins. Um, and so these proteins work together to form what is called gluten. and A typical wheat flour can have as many as 40 different Glandin proteins. So there's a bunch of different types of Glandin proteins. They're in this small to medium sized range. Glutenin proteins are um, multiple proteins together, not Glandin proteins. Glutenin are a different set of proteins that are made up this macro polymer. It's this fancy structure. And then together, Glutenin and Glandin form gluten. And so because of the amino acids in the structure of glandin and glutenin they the gluten itself is insoluble it can't be dissolved in water so and this is because mm-hmm. there's hydrophobic amino acids like glutamine in their structure
0: water hating yeah
1: hydrophobic water hating <laughs> it repels water so we have all of these yummy ingredients in our wheat flours so when we add water to flour the starch the polysaccharides absorb the water And then two chemical reactions happen at the same time. First, the water hydrates the gluten proteins, causing them to form a viscoelastic network, holding in the starch molecules. And if you remember from our very first episode on non-Newtonian fluids, a viscoelastic structure is like a time-dependent shear strain.
0: So that where you hold the dough and it slowly flows down? Exactly.
1: Exactly. Wow! <laughs> and so, because of this, is we're getting into the chemistry here. In gluten, there are amino acids. As I said, one of them is called glutamate, and this glutamate can form hydrogen bond crosslinks within the network of other gluten structures, strands, strengthening this network. Hydrogen bonds are interactions between two hydrogens. Um, it's not a full mm-hmm. bond, but it's quite strong. It's quite a strong interaction, and this means that different lines or like sheets of gluten can cross-link and and interact with each other and Mm -hmm. and form this structure. And because of the thiol groups, these ones contain sulfur, thiol groups contain sulfur, Mm -hmm. like cysteine, this can form disulfide bridges. So these are actual bonds across the gluten network. So we have hydrogen bond interactions and actual sulfur across the network. And this forms a very strong network in the gluten. Tyrosine, also crosslinks. And all of these crosslinking interactions give the dough a firm elastic feel. Cool. So we go from flour, which is quite coarse and puffy and, you know, quite loose. We add a little bit of water and all of a sudden we're getting all of these hydrogen bond, sulfur crosslinking and tyrosine crosslinks to form this dough. And (laughs) so
0: when you're mixing and kneading it, you are encouraging those bonds to form yes very cool you're doing chemistry with your hands that's you're full. doing that's cool yeah that's cool this is chemistry
2: that is safe to touch and that's rare um so is yeah. it is it the gluten cl- cross links that makes it so hard to pull apart
1: yes yep yeah. it is the, it is the gluten network that is supported by its hydrogen bonds and sulfur cross links sulfur bridges nice. that keeps it all together now, there is a second chemical reaction. As soon as you add that water, this is going on. This, this interaction is happening. And the second chemical reaction... Water is
0: very reactive.
1: It is. We don't think about it as being very reactive, but it is. Um, check out one of our previous episodes on oxidane. So another thing that happens when you add water is amylase breaks down the starch into smaller disaccharides. So amylase is an enzyme that is naturally present in flour. It's also naturally present in spit.
2: Yeah, I was thinking that it (laughs) reminded me of something.
1: It's naturally present in your saliva.
0: It's how you break down food. It's your your first step of breaking down food in your mouth.
1: So amylase works to break down the long polysaccharide chains of the starches into smaller disaccharides. And this will become important later. But this happens immediately when you add the water is there's amylase in the flour and this polysaccharide starch is broken down into maltose, which is a disaccharide. And this maltose is super, super important for our next ingredient in the bread. Can you guess what it is?
0: Wait, 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 wait. I know, can I can I guess, can I guess? I feel like, yeah. is it the yeast? It is the yeast, yes. correct. Because they're so, gonna eat it. They love, they're gonna eat it.
1: Yeah. So yeast are a single-celled fungi that have the enzyme maltase. Now, an, a key thing about biochemistry is anything that ends in A-S-E is an yeah. enzyme. So amylase. And so maltase allows the yeast to convert maltose, the sugar, to glucose. Basically, it breaks up that disaccharide huh. into a monosaccharide.
0: It like help, It's pulling two Lego Neat. pieces apart.
1: A hundred percent. is exactly what it's doing. S-
0: sugars are just Lego pieces. Proteins are just Lego pieces. It's all actually Lego pieces. Are you pieces trying to tell me that I'm just made
2: LEGO. of Lego? <laughs> it, it, the world is Lego. Yes. Not yes. just you, Beth. My ho- Beth, my everything. house is also made of Lego. Yeah. <laughs>
0: we are just Lego people living in a Lego world. And I'm <laughs> asking you to Lego my ego.
2: <laughs> that sounds very much... Like the Barbie song. I think that's a very Lego specific uh,
1: 90s... <laughs> it's a very specific 90s ad for uh, toaster waffles.
2: I thought that I was missing something. This supposed to be Canadian culture or something. I'm not sure.
0: I don't, I've don't. i never watched toaster waffle ads. I just know that reference.
1: So, so now we have glucose. And glucose is super important in many organisms, including yeast, uh, because the glucose gets metabolized by the yeast through... Glycolysis.
0: Glycolysis. Welcome
1: sugar, welcome sugar to the breakdown. What? Okay, this is a whole story, but basically, um, (laughs) Sienna and I met while taking a biochemistry course in Sweden. And when we were studying for the exam, I was doing some really great uh, research and found like study videos that are just songs of the Krebs cycle glycolysis,
0: the Fatty, acids the fatty cycle, Acid Cycle, that was cycle. my favorite one. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Some of them were set to pop songs like uh, Britney Spears' uh, Hit Me Baby One More Time.
2: Oh my gosh. It's very good. Yeah. You are such nerds.
0: Shout out to YouTube from the 2000s. You <laughs> produced so much good content. Probably still are, but I just don't watch it anymore.
1: I've, I've got, I actually, in researching this episode, I went back and listened to it to make sure I got the uh, byproducts correct. Because I don't want to go yeah. through the whole uh, gluco glycolysis cycle no. it's, it's very boring well it's, and it's and i think most of our listeners will know it from you know first year grade 12
0: i probably if you don't, don't know it just picture pulling something apart one piece at a time yeah that's all it's doing but
1: what it does is glycolysis converts this glucose to something called pyruvate mm-hmm. which gives the yeast energy but when there is air present under aerobic conditions the krebs cycle breaks down pyruvate to make carbon dioxide as a byproduct now that's what we're concerned with here in bread making but that's why we have to breathe out carbon dioxide is because the glycolysis and krebs cycle two different cycles but they work together they produce as a byproduct carbon dioxide and give us energy is
0: why if you don't breathe for a while you will die and it's because you need oxygen to produce energy. And it's because of the mm-hmm. Krebs cycle.
2: That much I knew. I have studied respiration. Well, this is yeast respiration. Yes. And, and so, Which
0: is the same as human respiration. Exactly,
1: voltage. and under <laughs> under aerobic conditions, when there is oxygen present, the Krebs cycle is activated and pyruvate is broken down to carbon dioxide. But this breakdown of pyruvate can also happen under anaerobic conditions.
0: Yeast can live without oxygen, unlike yes. us. I don't know why I'm singing this episode, but we, apparently I am. I listen to this, going to love it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wait, they'll auto-tune you, they'll, they'll turn you into an auto-tune <laughs> song, and you know, great.
0: <laughs> Welcome back to 2000's YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Um, under anaerobic conditions, this pyruvate builds up and through a slower process is converted to ethanol by the yeast. Now, you'll all know ethanol.
2: Yes, I'm very familiar with ethanol.
1: (laughs) It is the alcohol that we drink. And so in humans, actually, this pyruvate, under anaerobic conditions, is converted to lactic acid. Mm. So we go through a different process and convert it to lactic acid, which makes our muscles hurt when we do strenuous exercise. Right,
2: which gives you a stitch. There you go, you see. Even the physicist knows some biology.
1: Exactly. So this anaerobic process turns pyruvate into ethanol in yeast and turns it into lactic acid in humans. Yep. And this is also known as fermentation, which I think we've all heard of. We're all familiar with fermentation. Is it known as
0: fermentation in humans? I don't know
1: if it's known as fermentation in humans.
0: I don't think the lactic acid one is called fermentation because I don't think humans naturally ferment. <laughs> <laughs> no. I don't think anyone's ever said that. I do no, no, no. I, I meant no. in the I feel yeast. like I should know what it's called. Yeah, in the yeast, it's definitely called fermentation. In humans, I don't think so. But
1: you know what this means? This means that bread is just solid beer.
0: <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Prove oh. me wrong. Bread is solid beer. Yeah. We got, we got the wheat. All we mm-hmm. need is the hops. What if, if you made bread yep. with hops? So the
1: yeast is munching up all the delicious saccharides, and it's burping out carbon dioxide and sweating out ethanol. That's another wow. way to think about it.
2: Ugh, that's gross. I never want to eat bread again now. <laughs> so it's working under both aerobic and anaerobic conditions.
1: Yes. Yeah, because there is there is oxygen in in the dough, but you know, there's there's places where it can't mm. access the air and so Right. Yeah. And so the carbon dioxide that is produced gets trapped in this super stretchy gluten network that we've mm-hmm. created and it forms the air bubbles inside the dough. Now the ethanol that is produced when we when we heat it, it's mm-hmm. evaporated, so it, it, it goes away.
0: Don't worry, you won't get drunk off
1: bread. Exactly.
0: That's a shame, at least not this kind.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now there is one final important ingredient. Can you guess what it is? Salt. Ding, 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 that is correct. You should add salt to your bread dough. And that is not just because of the taste, sodium chloride, <laughs> salt sodium chloride is actually super important for bread making the sodium and the chlorine ions are needed for the cross-linking of the gluten protein chains this is kind of a little bit complex chemistry stuff but the ions shield the charges on gluten's proteins from each other and let them approach more closely so this makes them a stronger and more elastic dough
2: interesting the
1: positive and negative ions um, kind of allow gluten's proteins to get a little bit closer together, and it, and it gives a Cut stronger a dough. Exactly. So we've, we've combined all these things together. What's the next step in bread making? We've literally just added them to the bowl. What do we do next? We've kind of already talked we about gotta it. We got to mix. We need them. Exactly. We need to need As you need the dough, there's multiple different things that are happening at the same time kneading elongates and uncoils the gluten proteins so you're actually kind of unfolding the gluten proteins themselves not the network the proteins unfolding it
0: so it's like physical chemistry
1: exactly it's physical chemistry as you knead, it allows for more disulfide cross links the mechanical energy of kneading and the heat from your hands warms the dough slightly which encourages the yeast's metabolism this is also why you put yeast in warm water
0: Hmm. just like humans they like warm
1: (laughs) The kneading breaks down the starch into maltose and it distributes it to the yeast. So you're mixing all that stuff, you're, you're getting all of the components to the yeast and stuff. It incorporates air into the dough and it distributes the carbon dioxide bubbles throughout the dough. So you're, you're yeah. adding air to the places where the yeast might not get the air to do their metabolism. Um, but you're also distributing the carbon dioxide throughout the dough. So when you knead your bread, make sure you knead it nice and well. Because you want to do all these different mechanical and physical things. To uh, mix up.
0: But why, why do you not want to over-knead it?
1: You don't want to over-knead it because then it can become too tough.
0: So it can become too cross-linked.
1: Exactly. So what's the next key component after you've kneaded the dough?
2: You let it rise. Yeah.
1: Exactly. You let I've it...
2: watched a lot of Bake Off and watched <laughs> yeah. a lot of incidences when it, they put it in the proofing drawer and it doesn't prove, it doesn't rise. Mm. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. I've been w- baking a lot of focaccia bread myself, so that's how
0: I know.
1: I have a quick little quick little funny story that I didn't actually include here, but this happened and I thought I'd include it to tell you now. Um, my brother made uh, focaccia for him and I when I went to visit him. And to let it rise, he thought he would uh, keep it warm in the oven. So he put the oven on while he was mixing oh, the dough no. and then he was kneading it and stuff. And then he um, put the plastic bowl in the oven and turned the oven off. But then it <gasps> cooled down too quickly, so we turned the oven back on, but then forgot to turn the oven back off. Oh, so nice. we're sitting there, uh, we were playing video games, and we smelled this delicious smell of, like, warming bread. And then he was like, wait, I, I'm not baking the bread yet, I'm just letting it rise. And he ran to the oven, and the plastic bowl had completely melted nice. down the sides. And the bread oh, was, like, nice. slightly baked on the top. So we just oh. scraped out the dough from the plastic bowl, put it in a new a pan and then no, they didn't. No, you didn't.
2: Yeah, it was delicious. What about all of the plastic molds? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, what well, <laughs> chemicals are leached out of the plastic? Uh
1: eh, You know, what's a little? What's a little BPA? I in microwave my, body? my
2: Tupperware. Who cares?
1: <laughs> I don't microwave my Tupperware, but you know. Same
0: it thing. depends if it says it's Microsoft microwave safe or not.
1: Microsoft compatible. Microsoft
2: safe. Yeah. <laughs> Microsoft
0: no, if it says it's microwave safe. Then I will
1: yeah. microwave the
2: Tupperware. Yeah, yeah, and there's you know
1: because I was in our raised water. that
0: way, so like the damage is already done.
1: Yeah, exactly. So anyway, if you if you let your if you let your dough rest and prove, this is where the yeast really gets to work. So long as you don't stick it in a super hot oven. As more carbon dioxide is produced, it creates more larger bubbles in the gluten network. So bubbles come together and create larger bubbles and larger bubbles. And if you let your dough prove in a warm place, this encourages the yeast metabolism but it also helps the bubbles grow bigger as gases expand at higher temperatures. This is a Mm. classical chemistry law, the ideal gas law.
2: PV equals NRT.
1: PV equals NRT, exactly. So if the temperature is a little bit higher, the volume is also a little bit higher. Do
0: try this one at home, (laughs) kids.
1: Yes, please make bread at home. (laughs) And so you can allow the dough to rise many times which actually develops the gluten more completely and allows the yeast to impart more of its flavors Mm. so if you do more proving steps in your bread you can get a more yeasty flavored like a more flavorful dough if you just do one proof you'll still get some of that flavor but sourdough well yeah that's why sourdough has two proofs so after you prove you bake it you put it in your oven and so you can uh, form the dough into loaves or buns and you can make rounds or or you can cook it so there's many different ways to cook bread. I read it, I'm read i not talking about any specific type of bread making here. Um, and across cultures, there's many different ways of baking, in quotes, the bread. You can put it in an oven, you can um, put it over a fire, or you can put it in a steamer. You know, there's lots of different types of bread. But You just
0: gotta get it hot.
1: <laughs> exactly. And the chemistry is all very similar in each of these methods. So in the heat of cooking, the yeast actually still continues to consume maltose and produce carbon dioxide and ethanol. As the heat increases, these gases expand, causing the dough to rise again. And eventually, the heat gets to be so high that it kills the yeast and the bubble production stops. So, if you watch a time-lapse of bed break Bed-breaking.
2: Bed-breaking. If you
0: watch <laughs> a time-lapse of
2: bed-breaking... Uh-oh. Don't watch that time-lapse. What have you been doing, Alistair? Um,
1: if you watch a time-lapse of bread-baking, you'll see that it actually rises up to a certain point and then stops. And this is because the yeast gets too hot and dies. Sorry, yeast. And in an oven, another fascinating reaction takes place at higher temperatures after the yeast has died off. At the surface of the expanding dough, carbon molecules in the saccharides Mm. combine with the amino acids of the proteins to produce two products. They produce melanoidins, which is a class of brown pigments, which gives the surface a brown color. And other organic compounds, like pyrols, furans, pyrazines, and alkylpyridines. And the production of these organic compounds is known as the Maillard reaction. And so there are many, many different things that use the Maillard reaction and have characteristic flavors of the Maillard reaction. So one of them is the crust of bread. Mm. Um, But... Uh, another one is cooking bacon or cooking meats Ooh. because you cook something at a very high temperature. The carbons on the surface um, turn brown, almost turn black mm-hmm. and get these really interesting flavors from the pyroles, furans, pyrazines and alkylpyridines.
0: Love me a furan.
1: I could do a whole episode on the Maillard reaction because it's super interesting and in how it works. Um, but this is what's happening at the surface of your bread is melanoidins are being produced, which give it the brown color. And then the Maillard reaction is giving it all these complex flavors. And the aromas. That's why bread smells so good when it's baking.
0: Yum. And it makes
1: a nice okay, crust. I'm getting
0: hungry now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, so that's that's the summary of, of making bread. We're walking through the different steps of making bread.
0: Of breaking med.
1: Of breaking med, yes. Um, <laughs> now here's here's a um, here's a little experiment you can try at home other than making bread. So after you make your delicious loaf of bread at home... Try this little experiment. Take a piece of bread in your mouth and chew it. And keep chewing. And keep chewing. And chewing and chewing and chewing. You'll initially taste the delicious bread, followed by a sweet taste, which is your salivary amylase, breaking down the remaining starch into sugars. Yum, yum. So the bread will be bread flavored, and then it'll be very sweet as your saliva breaks down those sugars. Then after almost everything else is gone, you'll be chewing this gum-like mass in your mouth. That is the gluten. You'll have cool. chewed away everything else until just the gluten mm. is left la- because it's hydrophobic, and, then you can and so, it out. or you can swallow it. It's it's harmless, um, unless, you'll unless you're celiac. Unless you're celiac, maybe don't follow, eat follow bread. Maybe don't eat bread that has Follow your
0: gluten. dietary, whatever works for you. Do what works
1: yeah. for you. <laughs> yes. Now, actually, funny you should mention people who have gluten intolerance because I want to talk about some additives that can be added to breads um, for different reasons and the reasons that they're added. So first, um, you can add fats to your bread, like oils or butter. Mm -hmm. And this actually weakens the gluten network, which gives a softer bread. Yes. But it also stabilizes the forming gas bubbles, Mm -hmm. which makes the loaf rise more.
0: Nice.
1: Oils and fats also uh, preserve freshness as they Mm -hmm. slow the process involved in bread going stale.
2: Very true. I was thinking about that, because obviously in this part of the world, uh, olive oil is one of the favorite things to put anywhere and everywhere all of the time. Bread. Uh, something that I'm very much in favor of. And like a lot of pizza dough, pizza dough will usually have olive oil in it as well. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering whether where the oil came into it.
1: So it makes yeah, it makes it softer, it uh, makes the loaf rise more, but it also helps it from going stale.
2: Yes. Huh, so it's a, interesting. Yeah,
1: neat little triad. Um, and I looked into the process of bread going stale, because I, I kind of just thought... Um, Oh, well, you know, it's just water evaporates from the bread and then it just gets more hard, but it's actually a lot more complicated than that. And it's super fascinating. So the linear amylose polymers in flour, initially in the flour, in the dry flour are aligned side by side in a crystalline structure. So you can think of it just like lined up side by side.
0: Dominoes.
1: Yeah, like dominoes, sure. (laughs) But as the bread cooks, this structure is destroyed. It it no longer has this crystalline order. They're
0: knocked over.
1: (laughs) And completely messed around the table as it cooks. But then as the bread sits, after you've baked your bread and cut it up and had a slice and then it sits on the counter or in the fridge or something, there is a recrystallization that actually occurs inside the bread. And this process of recrystallization takes water in and uses water to form these crystalline structure in hydration reactions. So it's actually pulling out water from the bread dough. And this mm. makes the bread appear to dry out, but it's not actually drying out to the atmosphere. The, the mm. water isn't going out to the atmosphere. It's being used up in these hydration reactions to recrystallize the amylose polymers in the flour.
2: Wow. Is that why adding oil stops that from happening?
1: Exactly. Yes.
2: Because oil is hydrophobic.
1: Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. It's, it doesn't stop it from happening, but it slows it down. Okay. So, another thing you can add to your bread is baking soda, which is also known chemically as sodium bicarbonate. Or, I think. Also in,
2: in the supermarkets. Yeah, in Britain you call it of soda.
1: bicarbonate of soda. Um, and this can produce additional carbon dioxide when combined with water and acidic conditions. Mm-hmm. So, if you have a little bit of acid and water, it'll make carbon dioxide. Maybe you've seen the classic volcano reaction where you add. Uh, baking soda and vinegar together. Vinegar is an acid. Yes. And so you can, you can help along this carbon dioxide production, make more air bubbles with a little bit of baking soda. Baking powder is similar. It's actually just baking soda with cream of tartar or potassium, bitart- <laughs> potassium bitartarate. Mm-hmm. And this potassium bitartarate activates the baking powder because it's a bit acidic. So baking soda and baking powder are very similar. Um, and contribute carbon dioxide to your loaf.
2: Mm. I was gonna ask with the baking soda bicarb as we call it mm-hmm. uh, where like because to if it's alkaline, then it needs an acid to make it form gases and c o two and stuff. Mm-hmm. Where does that acid come from? Is it from the yeast?
1: Uh, where does the acid come from in the bread? Yeah. Uh, probably from the carbon dioxide solubilizing, like, um, probably from the carbon dioxide incorporating with the water to form, um, carbonic acid. Okay. It's, it's the same as how if you, like, bubbly water, what's it called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Soda water. Bubbly water. Seltzer (laughs) water, like.
2: Fizzy water. Fizzy water. Sparkling water.
1: Sparkling water, that's the word I was looking for. Sparkling water is actually slightly acidic because the carbon dioxide that is dissolved that's forming the bubbles also is dissolved and forms carbonic acid. That's why um, some people don't like um, sparkling water because it has a bit of an acidic taste, like it has a Mm. taste to it. Mm -hmm. That is the uh, carbonic acid that's dissolved in the water. So yeah, Mm. I, I would say that's probably where it comes from. That's where the acid comes from when you add baking soda. Um, Cool. But you may also see recipes that tell you to add a little bit of acid, like you'll add a little bit of vinegar or lemon juice or or something Mm -hmm. like that, Mm. along with baking soda. Another thing you can add though is ascorbic acid, which is also known as vitamin C. And this is sometimes added to breads to strengthen the gluten network. So it gives a more uh, stretchier uh, dough uh, because ascorbic acid can strengthen the gluten network. And if you are celiac or you don't eat gluten, you can make bread using xanthan gum. And xanthan gum is a special type of uh, gum that comes from a species of bacteria called Xanthomonas campestrisis. I don't know how to pronounce this. <laughs> that was the most Xanth- confident I've ever heard. <laughs> Xanthomonas campestris, something like that. <laughs> and so xanthan gum is what's used instead of gluten to form this glutinous network, or the stretchy network in the dough.
2: If you want to know more about this Anthemonis, I assume that there will be a link to it in our sources document where you can actually read how it's spelled. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Now, this would not be an episode of Not Yet a Doctor if we didn't tie in some fascinating and obscure research.
0: Okay, yes. I'm ready. I love some fascinating and obscure research.
1: As I was <laughs> reading through the November 2nd edition of Chemical and Engineering News, I came across As this- As one does. Re- As one does, you know, we all do. Sit, sit back for some light reading with C and E N. Mm-hmm. Um, I came across this really fascinating piece and I actually wanted to do an episode on it. And then my friend Miranda asked if I could do an episode on the science of baking. And I thought I could combine these two together. So a team of researchers at the Georgia Institute of Technology Lanzhou University and the Chinese Academy of Sciences have used bread and lettuce in a very unique way.
2: Uh oh.
1: They have made a lettuce sandwich that converts mechanical energy into electricity. No! (laughs) Yes.
2: That's cool. A lettuce sandwich.
1: This is through a phenomenon known as the triboelectric effect. And it is what is responsible for your hair sticking to a balloon after you rub it on your head.
0: What? Static electricity.
1: It's, it's, static electricity is part of the triboelectric effect.
2: Okay, I'm cool. so ready.
1: And so, triboelectric nanogenerators are interesting candidates for creating electricity from mechanical movement. But they're often mm-hmm. made from metals and polymers. So, I don't want to get into the full breakdown science of the triboelectric effect. Can I just
0: tell effect. you what I'm picturing right now? Mm-hmm. Is somebody taking the two pieces of bread with the lettuce in the middle and rubbing them against <laughs> each other like you would a balloon against your head?
1: Sienna, that is almost exactly what they did.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> so
1: often, tribo- tri- I think it's triboelectric. Often, triboelectric nanogenerators are made of metals and polymers, but this team has created one out of a completely edible system.
0: Yum, yum, yum. <laughs>
1: and so they used a sandwich using celery cabbage leaves and it powered an LED and an alarm and it powered it simply by pushing on the top of the bun. So it's almost like a button.
2: No. What?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it...
0: did, they must I'm j- like, can you picture this bread though with the wires all? Did they, did they put a picture in their article? I want to see the setup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of the sandwich.
1: <laughs> they did put a picture in their article.
0: Oh, my God. It looks like a burger. It's like a burger sandwich. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. It's a bun. It's a bun. So these, bread, so... vegetables. I love the color coding. <laughs> the bread in yellow and the vegetables in green. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, just in case.
1: So the scientists tried many different types of leaves. They tried oh lettuce God. and cabbages, <laughs> but uh, they found that celery cabbage worked the best as it has a larger size and higher electrolyte and water content, which was able the best mm. to conduct the voltage and current. And so I have some mm-hmm. go ahead.
0: Can I just describe what I'm seeing right now? Because this is incredible. Yeah. Okay, so I'm looking at figure five of the sandwich as a triboelectric generator article. In figure A, they have the top view of the sandwich with the little wire clipped on to the lettuce. <laughs> to the lettuce. And in figure B they push down on the sandwich and it turns on an LED. But In F, they have a picture of the researcher taking a
1: bite of the sandwich.
0: Yeah. And it's just so good. I love edible science.
1: Yeah. This
0: is so good.
1: It's quite interesting. And I read the article and um, they, they talk about how it could be used as a, you know, edible... I think they kind of jokingly mention a lunch deterrent system. So, like, you know, you can protect your lunch by just plugging it in. And then, you know, it <laughs> triggers an alarm if anyone touches it.
2: Whoa. That'd be pretty funny. This is wild. Yeah. Isn't it interesting? It's pretty
0: cool. I like this a lot. Yeah. So I, I wrote down
1: some stats. Can from you try
0: this at home? Is it possible to just, like, get the cabbage and bread and, like the wire and charge your
1: clock. Like... So, so the thing is that the cabbage and bread will produce energy, it's just that you have to have the correct components to harness that energy, which is what the scientists yeah. have set up there with the, the light and the alarm.
2: What do you need?
1: Probably just a little just computer. It, and Just
2: that
0: little red well, wire yeah, clip
1: because and somewhere else to clip it. So I, I got some stats from the paper. Like I said, they looked at a bunch okay. of different configurations, and this was the best. Um, this had the best output for voltage and current. So the maximum output performance of the celery cabbage can reach 15 volts, 3 microamps, with a contact area of 48 centimeters squared, a movement frequency of 5 hertz, and a peak velocity of 0.333 meters per second. So it depends on how fast and how hard you squish it, and how big the sandwich is.
0: Okay. Makes sense. Bigger sandwiches equal more energy?
1: I think so, yeah. But
0: what if you lined up multiple sandwiches, all side by side? Then you would have and a battery. press them all, a-, a sandwich battery though. That's what I'm saying.
1: This is that. yeah.
2: That would be really You could get cool. together
0: with all of your friends at lunchtime and you could all put your sandwiches together and make a battery. Have a
2: sandwich battery. Yeah. That would be cool. very
1: exciting. Power of the world through sandwiches. So these are, these don't produce a lot of power. I mean, it's it's only 15 volts and three microamps, so So it's, it's quite a small amount of power. Um, but these systems, these triboelectric nanogenerators, are um, being researched for things like wearable tech. That you can, you know, power uh, Bluetooth-enabled shoes or something, that every time you take a step, it it registers power. Like, it creates power. Basically creating me- mechanical energy into electrical energy, which I think is really That'd interesting. Be a
0: new way to, like... Count your steps get a step mm. counter that's built into your shoes mm-hmm.
1: and the thing is that systems that are made from polymers and metals like a lot of scientists are researching this to get the highest power output and you know that they're they're trying to get yeah those kind of conditions um, and so they're using metals and polymers and and many systems out there produce much more power um, and current but I think it's really interesting that these scientists went a different route and looked at what if we try and make it Edible and biodegradable and like you know, mm-hmm. sustainable to a certain extent. I mean, it's it's bread and lettuce, things that you can grow at home.
0: And yeah, ex- accessible. I love seeing accessible edible science. I yeah. lo- I don't. The bigger and yeah. better is a one way for science to go, but the um, smarter and more edible is another way, and I think I prefer that <laughs> Smarter
2: way. and more edible. Um, I like it too, but I don't know how sustainable it would really be, like how useful it would really be because you have to put some effort into squishing it. Like the only energy that you're going to get out is the energy that you put into squishing it. And then like you have to not waste
1: what it is that you've grown
2: to make it. So presumably you have to eat it afterwards. Otherwise you've wasted food and that's not a good thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's what they show in the papers. But, is the scientists eating it, it afterwards then they
2: eat it. yeah yeah in this picture you can see somebody eating it afterwards i assume afterwards um so yeah no like it's it's a cool idea
1: and also we should i should i should say as a a lab chemist um obviously these people are eating these sandwiches outside of the lab after they've taken their gloves off <laughs> yeah. and washed their hands and removed their ppe yeah. um because eating in the lab he's still
2: got a lab coat on doesn't he
1: it's a new lab coat. I don't know. I didn't do the research. I didn't take the photos.
2: <laughs> don't tell him. Don't tell anyone.
1: If I was taking the photos, I probably would have had the person remove their lab coat. But anyway.
0: But then we might not have known it was the same scientist. This, this is, is true. Yeah, exactly. Sandwich. Then
2: you would know that it was a scientist. Scientists only ever have... Yeah. You can't be a scientist unless you have a white coat on. That's why any time they come to our lab and take pictures and it's very interview us, we find a white coat from somewhere <laughs> to put on because just otherwise you wouldn't be scientists. Actually,
1: and that's a good point. I was just thinking like in this kind of research, they're not dealing potentially with chemicals in their lab. So you potentially could eat in the lab that you're doing this research because it's electronics research. Mm-hmm. Um, just like, yeah,
2: it definitely wouldn't be encouraged.
1: Yeah. But anyway, that, so that is, uh, an overview of the science, the chemistry involved in making bread. And some of the interesting ways that researchers are using bread <laughs> to produce energy.
2: That's really cool. Do you have a quiz for us?
1: Uh, of course I have a quiz. I always have a quiz. Oh. Some of you may forget Sorry, that the I quiz exists. shouldn't
0: have Alistair is the most quizzy of all of us, yeah.
1: <laughs> I love a good quiz. So, first question. Oh, I need to hear your buzzer sounds, first of all. So, um, oh, Beth, um... let's go with your buzzer sound first. Okay.
2: That was the uh, that was the carbon dioxide coming out from the yeast.
1: Okay. Um, I would like to
0: So I was also gonna go with a carbon dioxide buzzer sound, but mine's very different, so I think that's gonna be okay.
1: Okay, what's yours, Sienna? Ooh <laughs>
2: that's the bubble <laughs>
1: forming. Okay. okay, so we have we have the yeast uh, blowing out carbon dioxide. Yeah, and uh, we have the bubbles forming. Oop. Alright, I like it. So <clears throat> first question. Although I will say, before we get there, Um, I did say that the carbon dioxide is burped out by the yeast. So I'm a little bit oh. uh, surprised that you didn't go with that.
2: Yeah, but anyway. sorry. Um, I can't burp on <laughs> a and know what I want to <laughs>
1: Look, if it was my buzzer sound, I'm just saying. Okay. <laughs> um, so the first question. What types of bonds and forces strengthen the gluten network? Oop. I heard Sienna, yes.
0: Um. So there's hydrogen bonds between mm-hmm. the gluten, well, within the gluten network. And there's also disulfide bonds between the cross-linking of cysteine. Nice, and yes. The, also tyrosine.
1: Yes, the cross-linking of tyrosine. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You were good. That's,
1: that's all three of them. Um, and the hydrogen bonding comes from glutamate.
0: Glutamate, right, yeah. <laughs> I forgot yeah. about glutamate. Are...
1: That's okay, I didn't Sorry, expect you me. to remember the amino acids that are involved, so.
0: Glutamate is, like, one of my favorites, so.
1: I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you two points for that. You know what? Two points for knowing the amino acids and all three of them.
2: I'm so touched. Oh my gosh, I've got (laughs) a lot to catch up
1: on. Alright, second question. What specifically does yeast ingest to produce carbon dioxide and ethanol?
2: Mm. Oh no. You gotta
1: be quick, Beth, you gotta be quick, I heard Sienna again.
0: To produce carbon dioxide and ethanol, what does it ingest?
1: Specifically, yes, what does it ingest?
0: Ooh. So I know, so it, but yeast breaks down maltose into glucose, but the glucose is what produces carbon dioxide and ethanol. The breaking down into glucose.
1: Okay. So I, you, you, you waited a little bit to answer that. So I'm going to say that you're correct. Okay. You, I'll, I'll give you the point because yeast does break it down to glucose, but yeast ingests maltose. I'm, I'm, I'm looking input output. I'm not, I don't care about the cycles, <laughs> but best for a bonus point, Uh What breaks down the maltose? Oh. (sighs) You don't have to, yes. Well, I've
2: (laughs) buzzed anyway. Maltase.
1: Maltase, correct.
2: Nice. I got one right.
1: Yes. Um, Next question. What chemical reaction produces a flavorful dark crust on bread?
2: Oh. I always forget the names.
1: (laughs) That was a tentative whoop from Sienna. Because I don't
0: know, but I know it started with an
2: um, yeah, like myelinine okay. or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mize,
0: Mize, Yeah. It's like my, okay,
1: Mize. I, I'm going to be I'm gonna be strict here, and no points for either of you. Yeah, it's the Maillard a... reaction. Maillard, Maillard. oh. Yes. Yeah. So you're, you're close, it starts with them, but it's the Maillard reaction. Okay. Okay, finally, see if, Beth, you can tie it up here. I think. I don't think so. No. See if you get a point, another track. point. Okay, uh, what effect allows for a lettuce sandwich to produce the... Yes. I can't
2: remember now. The yeah. ty, tyro, tyro electric effect. Tynoelectric electric effect. You know
1: what? It's whoop, it's close whoop, enough. I'll give it to whoop. you. Okay, Sienna.
2: <laughs> the triboelectric.
1: Yeah, it's Damn the it. triboelectric. Uh. Effect. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, I guess a point's to you, Sienna. Yeah. Uh, if we're counting, I think you're the winner. of that I win this episode. Yes. Mini- yeah. Sienna but won't it was unfair a long because way. this is a
0: biochemistry episode, and I have studied biochemistry before. so.
1: Yes, there was a lot of biochemistry in this episode. But there was some physics. There was some physics. And I
2: just didn't know the physics. I'll try harder next time.
0: You'll try Bo harder next time. I'll
2: try Bo harder (laughs) next time.
1: (laughs) Um, Do we have any more bread puns we want to get out of the way before we uh, (laughs) plug our social medias? Um, Um, It'd be really crummy if we just ended it on this note, so. (laughs) All right.
2: I'm going (laughs) to send someone to Focaccia to put you in. Prison for the terrible puns. I think they might have to for- catch me. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> um, this is just a small pizza. The entire field of red chemistry.
1: Oh no! Okay. <laughs> I think we'll lo- loaf it there. No. <laughs> <laughs> well.
0: Leaving we're leaving
1: it. We're leaving it there. Okay. We're gonna. We're <laughs> leaving it there.
0: <laughs>
2: I have loved this episode.
1: <laughs> you can uh, check us out on all of the social media platforms, or most of the social media platforms, at not yet a doctor. That's not yet a dr. But our email is different. It is the PhD three to be at gmail.com, or PhD thirty two B at gmail.com. Nice. And yeah. You can get in touch with us if you like this episode. Please follow us on wherever you're listening. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us out. Give us a rating.
0: And please send us pictures And send of us pictures bread. of
1: the bread that you're making. Because now yeah, that you know the science, you can make the best bread possible. I'm Alistair.
0: I'm Sienna. I'm Beth.
1: Thanks very much for listening. And we hope you listen again soon. And this is the outro by...
0: Emerson. Let his music lead
1: you out. You can check out all of the sources for this episode in our sources document, which is linked on our link tree.
0: Bread you later. Bread you later. (laughs)